You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. God, you are our God, the one in whom we trust. We've gathered together today to worship you, to open our hearts and minds to your presence. We long to meet you here and to hear your voice. We come with confidence because we've met you here before. 
We've been awed and inspired by your glory and your power. We come with gratitude because we've known your steadfast love, a love which is better than life itself. And so we praise you, lifting our voices, lifting our hands in joy and expectation. Come among us in your power. Pour out your spirit on our thirsty souls, that we may be filled with your goodness and love. Good morning and welcome to our service of worship of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It is wonderful to have all of you with us here this morning. I am Megan LeCluse. And while the Reverend Dr. Baron Mollis is out of town this morning, we are joined by our own Reverend Barbara Shapel, who will be preaching for us this morning. We hope that you will stay after the service and join us in Old Buttonwood Hall for a time of fellowship where we can get to know one another better. I call your attention to a lot of announcements about what is ongoing in the life of our congregation right now, including our Lenten Drive, where our collection bins are over here, and you can bring up anything you might have when you bring up offering during or after the service. And I also call particular attention to the Souls Shot Portrait Project exhibition that is coming up, for which we are seeking volunteers to come and be present here when the exhibition is open. And you can find out more information about that or sign up on our website. And I invite you to check out everything else that is going on. There's a lot of exciting stuff. Let us now continue our service of worship with our prayer of confession. Let us humbly approach God's throne of grace to confess our sins and present ourselves honestly before our Savior. Holy God, we again acknowledge our sinfulness. Though you have made us for love, we have not loved. Though you have made us for community, we have broken the good fellowship you would give us. Though you have made us to be human, we have not lived up to our holy calling. We have been less than you would have us be. Forgive us, we pray. Remind us always of the high expectations you have for us and the even higher love which you redeemed us to fulfill expectations. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ.
Our God is a loving God, full of mercy. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Believe in this forgiveness, be at peace, and share the love you have graciously received. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, in the 30th chapter. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, just as the Lord delighted in prospering your ancestors. When you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us? And get it for us, so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross to the other side of the sea for us, and get it for us, so that we may hear it and obey it? No, the word is very near to you, 
It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. Our second reading comes from Colossians in the first chapter. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving it thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Lord has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The Gospel lesson this morning is the familiar parable from Luke that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is familiar And so I invite you this morning to listen to it with new ears and a deeper listening. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved to pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, 
take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you for whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation and reflection and listening of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus often taught in parables. Parable, from the Greek word parabole, which means a comparison, or an analogy, or a juxtaposition. Quite literally, it means a throwing alongside. Para, beside, bole to throw or toss, even like a beam or a ray of light lands on a surface. So when Jesus told parables, his primary way of teaching in the Gospels, he was using a particular method to teach, offering a story to lay alongside the lives of his listeners an analogy to juxtapose next to our lives, to illuminate them. Today we hear the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan as told in the Gospel of Luke. So familiar that we probably think we have exhausted its meanings, that we know fully what it suggests. But this morning, I invite you to listen again to this story that Jesus tosses alongside your life. And imagine the light that the story sheds on your journey. I grew up in the 1950s in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, just across the river in a newly built split-level house, the first that my parents were proud to own. 
From my bedroom window, I could literally see the farmlands of South Jersey being washed away by suburbia. As post-war developers built acres and acres of split levels and Cape Cods and ranch houses for the baby boom children. In the next door, Cape Cod, lived Sumiko and Tom Jacobs and their daughters, Joanne and Carolyn. Sumiko was a war bride. My grandfather, having sent both a son and a son-in-law to fight in the Pacific, <coughs> called them the Japs next door. My sister's bedroom looked toward the Fordham's house, our other neighbors on the other side. John and Dolores Fordham were of German descent, and we wondered at the strange smells that hung in their kitchen whenever we were sent next door to babysit. My grandfather couldn't quite bring himself to get out the word Nazi, but he said German with the feel of it. My father slowly taught me and my sister to love what is different. He did this without words. He invited the Jacobs children to play touch football in our backyard. He taught Dolores Fordham how to drive. He gave me and my sister books about Germany and Japan to read. He befriended Tom Jacobs and John Fordham while they did lawn work together on Saturday mornings. And imperceptibly, the Jacob and Fordham kids became part of the warp and woof of my young life. Yet there are days when I still remember the look in the Jacob girls' dark almond eyes, from where they stood at the very far edge of our school playground, and I did not go to stand with them. As near as next door, as far away as the outside edge of a schoolyard playground. I remember a veterinarian in a church where I preached some years ago who approached me in tears one Sunday after worship. She told me of a client who had brought his dog to her at the Penn Vet Clinic. She could not make an immediate diagnosis, and so the young man returned several times with his pet. During these visits, the veterinarian learned that her client was a gay man living with AIDS and that his dog was his beloved and closest companion, a life-giving friend. When she finally diagnosed serious heart disease, the medication prescribed was costly, more than the man could pay. So she paid the bill herself. She approached me in tears because her colleagues had ridiculed her 
for what they called the sentimentality of her decision, telling her that her action was neither pragmatically nor professionally sound, as near as a young man and his dog, as far as the rules and procedures of a large city veterinary hospital. I'm sure some of you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan. A small party of soldiers is ambushed by a German shooter in a French field after the Normandy landing. And one young soldier dies in the arms of his comrade, who holds his friend's bleeding body, cradles his head, holds him close, speaks to him in quiet words of hope as his life flows out of him. A pieta in flesh, as moving as Michelangelo's in marble. This wartime scene is, of course, playing out today in the streets and cities and countryside of Ukraine. We see it daily on our televisions. Neighbors and strangers living in subways, basements, sheltering and caring for friends, for newborn babies, for the elderly, for children, for pets. We see the death and the fear, the destruction of the bombs. And we also see prams left at the border of Poland by Polish women for escaping Ukrainian mothers. We see fathers leaving families on platforms at railway stations to return to their cities and fight. We see people offering a child pieces of bread on which Nutella has been spread. We see young college students offering hugs to those who need them or an empty cat carrier being brought by a Polish man for a pet that has been carried over miles from a Ukrainian city. Today, this very day, my cousin Jennifer, who, who works with the UN Refugee Agency in Geneva, leaves for Poland where she will join a group going with heavy security into Lviv to help the refugees there in the midst of the bombing. She texts me that this is what she can do and that this is what she must do. She, who was herself orphaned as a girl, when her mother died of cancer and her father, my uncle, could not care for her due to his mental illness. And so she was taken in by an aunt, 
later went to college, and traveled through Colombia, the country Colombia, to study. And there, in the slums of Bogota, she found a new family, a Colombian family, friends, sisters, brothers. And they are still today her family. Jesus gives us the ultimate definition of neighbor in this story of the wounded man by the roadside, the granite faces of the religious righteous as they walk past, the care of the outsider, the ritually impure man who stops, kneels down, befriends, heals. I wonder if we still hear the scandal of it. The impurity of the other, the shunned Samaritan of another race, another tribe, another religion, another nationality, another class. I wonder who the Samaritan would be for me if I were in need, when I am in need. Will it be the one that I was taught not to touch? not to speak to, not to eat with, not to live next door to. The one who is far away in her otherness. Jesus does not really spend time in his parable condemning the priest or the Levite or even the lawyer who put him to the test. Rather, he focuses on the love of one person for another. Unexpected love, abundant love, continuing love. The love of an unexpected other. One who saw, who knelt, who touched, who cleansed, who bandaged, who carried who paid, who remembered, who returned. Which one is the neighbor, Jesus asks. We think it is the one in need of help, the one by the roadside or on the street outside of the church. But perhaps it is also the one who had compassion, the Samaritan, the other, the one who has compassion on us. The neighbor is the one to whom we stand in reciprocal relationship, for whom we guarantee the rights of belonging. The neighbor is the one who is far, becoming the one who is near. The Hebrew root of the word for neighbor is ra'ah. And the root is like the root of another Hebrew word, meaning friend or shepherd. And that translation, shepherd, calls to my mind the violent death long ago in 1998 of Matthew Shepherd, 
the young gay man beaten by his classmates in Laramie, Wyoming, and lashed to a fence post where he was left for 18 hours in the freezing weather to die. In his otherness, Matthew Shepard brought us as a nation near to him, nearer to gay people, nearer to understanding the violence of hate crimes, nearer to our own complicity with violence, nearer to our frightening apathy, nearer to the unspeakable suffering we can cause one another, and nearer to the unspeakable love of Christ. We will have an opportunity, you and I, to come near to neighbor and to our complicity with the violence of guns in our own city. When in April, the Soul Shot Project will bring families of victims of gun violence to our church as we stand with them to honor their sons and daughters, their mothers and fathers who have been killed by guns. In them, the neighbor who is far from most of us will become near. I attended a concert Friday night by Judy Collins. You will know her, you who are of my age. And her opener was Jessie Collin Young, a singer-songwriter whom some of you may also remember. After his songs, as he left the stage, Jessie looked out into the audience and quietly said these words. Take care of each other. Take care of each other. Who is my neighbor? Jesus tosses this story and this question alongside our lives on our Lenten journey to shine light, to help us see. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.
let us together affirm what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. God calls us to lives of grateful generosity. Let us praise the giver of all good gifts through our offering this morning and every day of our lives.
God of generous provision, we are grateful for the many ways you care for us and provide for the needs of your people. In word, water, bread, and wine, you nourish and sustain us. When we listen to you, we encounter delight, and when we come to you, we live most fully. Sometimes, though, we find ourselves in a dry and weary land, where we have misused and depleted creation. Drought and famine leave people and animals facing hunger and starvation, where we have polluted streams, rivers, and oceans. Fish and other water creatures suffer and die. People without access to clean water become sick. Oh God, help us to care for your creation in ways that make it possible for all to have enough food and water, life verdant and abundant. Sometimes we find ourselves in a dry and weary land, in places torn apart by war, where the earth itself has been ravaged, where hospitals and homes and corner stores have been reduced to rubble, where human lives have been destroyed and deformed, where peace lies in the ruins and hope is buried. O God, raise peace among us again. Build hope up from the ground. Restore in us and in the world's leaders the will and determination to make an end of war and a new beginning for justice. Sometimes we find ourselves in a dry and weary land. When we are lost, unable to find our way to a place that is home for us, when we are sad and weighed down with regret or grief, when we are tired or sick in body, mind, or spirit. O God, provide water in the desert and manna in the wilderness, enough to sustain us for one more day, enough to revive us for the long haul. Sometimes we find ourselves in the rich feast of your presence. We celebrate a new beginning in our lives, a new job, a new relationship, a new life, a new day of sobriety, a second chance. Oh God, we give thanks to you for this new blessing in our lives. Sometimes we find ourselves in the rich feast of your presence. We give thanks for the gift of healing after injury or illness, for laughter that bubbles up to replace our tears, for hope that spills its soothing light over the darkness of our despair. O oh God, we thank you for the gift of wholeness and resurrection promised to us in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we find ourselves in the rich feast of your presence. We enjoy the relief of forgiveness given and received. We enjoy a breach in walls of division. Our own hearts are enlarged and our vision is broadened by a new understanding. We welcome a prodigal home or are ourselves welcomed home again. O oh God, we thank you that you are reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. Be patient with us, we pray, in the varied landscapes of our lives. Make us patient with one another and even with ourselves. Do your good work within us, among us, and beyond us too until our lives and all of creation come fully into your realm. 
you who so generously provided, deserve our praise, our grateful praise. In Jesus' name we pray these things and the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now go out from this place 
and find the ones who are far and bring them near. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.